Daniel chapter 9, verse 15 through 19. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. May we bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these words which are given for our instruction, for our correction, for our rebuke, uh, for training in righteousness that we may be equipped for every good work. And, oh, Father, we ask that, Lord, you would accompany these words this morning uh, with the grace uh, of your Holy Spirit, that you would be pleased to work these truths into our minds and into our hearts and into our lifestyles, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we return this morning to our discussion on prayer from Daniel 9. And three weeks ago, we really kind of began a a series within a series, if you will, a series on on prayer. And uh, you may recall, if you heard that message, that we talked about Daniel's posture uh, the posture that he is in as he approaches God in prayer. And, and we saw, and I think it's maybe the easiest thing to see from, from Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, that it's a posture of deep repentance. Uh, I think if we just read this through a couple of times, that might be maybe the first thing we get out of this. And that makes perfect sense because sin separates us from God. And prayer is approaching God. So repentance needs to be a high priority in our prayer lives, but not only in our prayer lives, but really in our lives in general. We, uh, we're mindful of our sin. God has made us ever mindful of it. And uh, repentance really needs to be a, a lifestyle for us. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the second installment. We considered, okay, where does Daniel get these words from? Is he looking down deep within his heart? Is he, is he mining these great words out from within? As, and we might be prone to think today because we are so focused on, on self and so focused on the within, if you will. And we so know, actually, uh, no. Uh, Daniel's guide is the word of God. We saw what was guiding him. Even his address, uh, he addresses God uh, he addresses him with language that comes right out of the law, doesn't he? Uh, and his words are just completely saturated with the word of God. And namely, uh, Daniel is approaching God with the promises 
And there's uh, several promises here. I, uh, I, I brought out one, namely, uh, the prayer begins when, uh, with Daniel studying Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, he discovers that there are 70 years. Jeremiah prophesied that there'd be 70 years of desolation. There'd be 70 years of exile. After those 70 years are over, then the Lord would restore. He would begin to do the work of restoring Jerusalem. And here Daniel is near the end of these 70 years. And what is guiding him as he, as he approaches God in prayer out of a, uh, out of a posture of repentance, uh, he comes to God with the promises of God. And it's the promise of God that he brings uh, to God in prayer. And uh, we, we, could, uh, we could make application of that uh, right away. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, I, uh, the application I made of it is the, the common problem of going into your prayer room or going wherever it is that you pray. And you, you sit down and you're ready to pray and you bow your head and you put your hands together or however it is that you do it. And... Uh, now, you, you start to talk and, and nothing happens. You can't think of a thing to say. Uh, well, we can take a leaf out of Daniel's book here, can't we? We take our Bibles into the prayer room with us and we leaf through the Bible. You know, An example I used uh, last week or two weeks ago, rather, as you want to play for, pray for the church, for instance, go into your prayer room with Matthew 16 and open up to Jesus' promise. He said, I'm going to build, your, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades is, will not prevail against it. Uh, so we could go in there and we could pray, Lord, you've promised to build your church. And uh, history is very clear. You've been making good on that promise since you uttered that promise. Down through the centuries uh, with just uh, 12 uh, apostles, one who which betrayed you. Uh, you have built such a magnificent church. Build your church, Father. Make good on that promise. Build your church in the lives of our families. Build your church in this Ohio Valley. Build your church in Chester, O oh Father. Build your church in Wellsville and East Liverpool and Hookstown. Build your church. You see what you're doing here? You're praying the very promises of God. So I said, what do I need to pray the promises of God? God has already made the promise. He's going to see it to fruition. No, but he's ordained the prayers to go along with uh, what he has ordained. Our prayers actually are part and parcel of his working these things out. He has truly, really invited us in on what he is doing. And when we take these promises and we go into our prayer rooms, we are actually uh, praying the, the very will of God. Now, this morning, we want to continue in our study by considering what is motivating Daniel. What is motivating him? We've considered his posture. It's a posture of deep repentance. We see what's guiding him. The word of God is guiding him. But what's motivating him? Well, I want to look at this inductively this morning, meaning what I want to do is I want to look at this. Let's study this together so that we, so that we discover what's motivating him uh, actually uh, together. Instead of me just announcing it and then showing where I got it, I'd rather do it inductively so that we can see it together. If you look at, with me to verse 15, you read the words, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. Do you see that verse there? Now, I have found in my study of Daniel, my personal study of Daniel, that unless I put forth serious effort to retain the context here, I find myself losing a sense of the context here. 
In other words, I have, a, I have a tendency, and I think we all have a tendency as we read through and study Daniel, to lose uh, a sense of what Daniel and his countrymen and women are going through. You remember how Daniel starts out. It starts out with King Nebuchadnezzar coming into Babel or coming into Jerusalem and sacking the place. I mean, they very ruthlessly came in and they just raised the place. And then they went into the temple and they, they ransacked the temple. And they carried off all of the, the precious and uh, sacred temple furnishings. And then they carried the people off. And they carried them off to this strange land. And it's been a long time since chapter 1. And we're in chapter 9, and we've been in chapter 9 for a long time. And it, it, we can quickly lose sense of what they've gone through. They've gone through this for 70 years. It's been 70 years since this has happened. It's been 70 years since any one of them have worshipped in the temple of God. And undoubtedly, the faithful have been praying Lord, restore the worship. I, I have to imagine there were faithful Israelites who were, who were praying, Lord, restore your city. Lord, restore your temple. Lord, restore these things. When are you going to do this? How long? How long, O oh Lord? And I would imagine Daniel has been praying like this. And now we may struggle with keeping the context here in mind, but... We don't struggle with this business of unanswered prayer, do we? Has anybody here had the experience of praying for something that's very dear to you uh, for many years? And really to your, in terms of all outward appearance, you haven't seen any changes at all? Perhaps on the contrary, you, your situation may even be worse. And in those times, you, you might find yourself saying, okay, um, all right, Lord, uh, are, you, are you hearing me? Uh, are, are you considering this, oh, Father? You, um, we might even begin to wonder if God is concerned. Now, some of us, you know, we're... we're Maybe some of you are schooled enough to say, okay, there really is no unanswered prayer. When, God, when we pray, God hears us and he answers and sometimes the answer is no. We might say that in our minds. If we say that in our minds, that's, that's theologically correct. Okay, in our heads, we can get that. That's theologically correct. But what, where's our heart at? It's often trailing long behind the head, isn't it? Sometimes you look back and you say, I don't even, I can't even see it anymore. There's so much dust between my head and my heart. Where's it at? I know it's back there somewhere. I hope. This has a tendency. We have a tendency. If you're like me, you have a tendency to lose initiative to pray when God is silent about these things. You have a tendency to kind of fall back into the status quo, you know, and say, well, okay, I guess this is the way it's going to be. And uh, maybe I should, maybe I should uh, focus my energies on something else. You know, Daniel, Daniel could have easily fallen into that. Maybe Daniel didn't fall into that. Daniel could have said, okay, I might well just accept things. They're not going to change. Everything's going to be kind of the way that it is. He, he may here, he may not have done that. Uh, but I, I would think that many of his countrymen and countrywomen had done that. 
because that is so easy to default to. And it's easy to make application of that right now, isn't it? You know, in terms of church planting, in terms of planting Tri-State Community Church, you know, when things don't grow quite as fast as you think they ought to be growing or things aren't happening quite as fast as you think they ought to happen, it's easy to lose initiative and impetus to pray. Ask me how I know this. Ask me how I know this. <laughs> and think, well, maybe I ought to focus my energy somewhere else, you know, and maybe this is, you know, maybe this is just, this is the way it is. Maybe it's, we have a tendency to retreat back to the status quo is what I'm trying to say here. We have a tendency to retreat back to, okay, this is it. And we may concentrate our prayerful energy somewhere else. Well, Daniel has a powerful antidote for this. Notice his address in verse 15. He says, and now, O Lord, our God. You see those words? It's easy just to, to cruise right on past those words and not realize what's going on in these words. These words are very important. And Daniel actually is taking up a promise. You remember how I said he, what's guiding Daniel as he prays? The promises of God are guiding him. There's a promise right here. It's easy to miss. We find it in the pronoun are, O-U-R. And now, O Lord, our God. That's covenant language. God has made a covenant with Israel to be their God. And he's made a covenant with Israel to make Israel his people. Leviticus 26, 12. God says to Israel, I'll walk among you. I'll be your God and you shall be my people. And what's Daniel doing? He's taking this promise. You see, he's going into his prayer closet with the promises of God here. And he's saying, it's almost like he's saying, oh Lord, you, you've promised to be our God. You've promised to make us your people. He's saying that when he says, oh Lord, our God. You see, he's embracing that, that covenant promise. And then Daniel backs up in time, if you will, to a great deliverance that God had done for his people. Continuing in verse 15, if you look there with me, Daniel says, you brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. And we find sentences very similar to this scattered all over the Old Testament, don't we? And the Psalms... And the prophets, and for good reason. You see, this great act of redemption on God's part, this great act of grace, has served the faithful time and time again in times of silence and despair. Let's not forget what God has done in the past. You see, it's when we look at what God has done in the past, we find grace afresh. For what's going on in the present. That's what Daniel's up to. That's exactly what he's up to. And we're going to pick up on this a little bit more in a moment. But notice where Daniel's going with this. He points to the name of the Lord. He says, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. You've made a name for yourself. And I want to flesh that out for a minute. To do that, we've got to go back in time. If you're unfamiliar with the timeline here, uh, we're going to go back approximately a thousand years. Back to the days when, uh, uh, that are uh, given to us in the book of Exodus, if you will. Okay? Uh, back in the days of Moses. Back in the days when Israel has found herself as a young nation 
under the enslavement of Egypt, namely under the enslavement of Pharaoh. And they're crying out to God. You know, Pharaoh is treating us ruthlessly. He's, we're enslaved and the treatment is oppressive. And they call out to God. And God uh, sends a, uh, a deliverer, if you will, to uh, deliver them. In Acts 9.16, God says to Pharaoh himself, He says, for this purpose I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. What's going on there? What's going on there is God raises up Moses and he says to Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, who is Pharaoh? Pharaoh is the most powerful man in the world at that time. He is the commander in chief of the world's most powerful army. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, I want you to let your Hebrew slave population go free. And with Pharaoh's determination to to not do that, a contest is set up. A contest between the most powerful forces that this world has to offer and the power of Almighty God. And that's largely what we have with the plagues in the first 14 chapters of Exodus, isn't it? A contest between Almighty God and the, the best foot forward that this world has to offer. And when God safely uh, delivers Israel out of Pharaoh's hand, what does the watching world conclude? That Pharaoh is powerful. Nobody wants to mess with Pharaoh. And Egypt's gods, no one wants to mess with Egypt's gods. But my goodness, Israel's God had no problem with either. Israel's God is to be feared. You see, a great name was made for God. He made a great name for himself, didn't he? Now, what has happened since? Well, many years have gone by now. And uh, Israel uh, has now been ransacked by Babylon. And the temple has been ransacked. And the people have been carried off. Now, what is the watching world to conclude from that? Well, it doesn't look like Israel's God was as powerful as we thought. Or maybe he once upon a time was powerful, but perhaps he's lost some of his power. Or perhaps some of the other gods, the gods of Babylon, have increased in power. What else are they to include? What else are they to conclude? What has happened here to the glory of God? Well, it would seem that Babylon's gods have won the day. And Daniel is lamenting over the fact that he's no longer in his homeland. He's lamenting that. But there's something that he is lamenting far more than that. And this is what's motivating him to pray. It's the fact that the glory of God has been defaced. The glory of God has been defaced. And that 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 is what's motivating him to pray. At the very end of verse 15, he says... We have sinned. We have done wickedly. Why does he say that? Because Daniel understands that his, he and his people are to blame for this. They're the ones to blame for this. Have we, we have seen the truth that God has not lost any of his power. We have seen things that the watching world don't know about. Namely, God made a covenant with Israel. He promised blessings for faithfulness. He promised curse for lack of faithfulness. And by that lack of faithfulness, by that apostasy... 
by that backsliding, whatever you want to call it, they have forced God to make good on his covenant curses. And in making good on his covenant curses, his glory has been defaced before the watching world. And Daniel, Daniel is lamenting this. It's very easy to see that this is the most, this is what's motivating Daniel, the fact that God's glory has been defaced. He goes on in verse 16. He says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger, your wrath, turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, he's beginning to wrestle with the Lord here, and you notice his line of argument. We have sinned. Because we have sinned, we have forced you to make good on your promised curse. Because you were forced to make good on your promised curse, your city, your people have become a byword, a reproach to this watching world. Daniel is truly lamenting the shame that he and his people have brought on the Lord God. Now notice what he does with this in verse 17. He first calls on God to listen. Therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy. And again, it's easy for us to lose track of the fact that they've probably been praying for 70 years. You know, 70 years is a long time to be praying for something. I met a, a man in, uh, uh, in Wellsville a number of years ago. In fact, I, we used to do business with his son. And he wanted me, his son wanted me to meet his father. He goes, man, you've got to meet my dad. My mom prayed for him for almost 70 years that he would come to faith. And he introduced me to him. And oh my goodness, this guy was really, really, really excited. Very elderly, but so excited for the Lord. His wife prayed for his salvation for almost 70 years. 60 some years, I think it was. That's a long time. But that gives us, uh, that gives us impetus to pray for our unbelieving family members, doesn't it? But at any rate, they've been praying for almost 70 years. And, and here they're calling on God to listen. Uh, listen, listen, Lord. With much endurance and perseverance, Daniel calls on God to listen. Again, this is counterintuitive. Oftentimes we want to fall into the status quo. But notice what comes next. Daniel presents an, an argument before the Lord. He says, for your own sake, O Lord, for your own sake, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. In other words, Daniel's argument is this. Do this for your own sake, Lord. Your glory is being defamed before this watching world. Do this for your own sake. Do this for your own glory. What are they to conclude here, Lord? That you're just one God among many gods? That's what they think. Cause your face to shine upon the desolations of this city and make your power known to this watching world that your glory may be known to them, that this ridicule of your name may stop. That people will take notice. You see where he's arguing from? He's arguing from his very own glory. And then in verse 18, he calls on God to listen. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. It's not that Daniel thinks God is sleeping. It's just from this long period of silence, it almost seems that his eyes are closed to what is going on here. Open your eyes, O oh Lord. Now we see Daniel's method, don't we? Daniel calls on the Lord to hear. He's arguing from God's glory and he's standing on God's mercy. And we can and should pray the same way. What would that look like? Well, let's think about 
God's glory for a moment. You know, if you're in Christ this morning, you are a child of God. You are a, a son or daughter of God. And what effects have our sins, our conduct in this world, our conduct in the workplace, our conduct within our families and our households, what effects do our sins have on the glory of God? What effects do our sins, when we act just like the rest of the world, what effect does that have on the glory of God? It's not a hard application to make, is it? The watching world might be led to believe this is just a farce, and many people are led to believe it's just a farce because of the behavior of people in the church. Now, granted, some of these folks aren't even in the church. They attend church, but they're not in the church. Granted that. But that's not always the case, is it? It's not always the case. I think that our first prayer here should be that the Holy Spirit would lay a burden on our hearts for the glory of God. That he would really lay on our hearts a burden for the glory of God. That's, what's, that's what he's done with Daniel. And that is largely missing from the church today. Don't you agree? Am I being unkind with that observation? I don't mean to be. So... Once this has taken place, and only until this has taken place, will we have the proper motivation to pray. We pray. We're, we're on about what we want, aren't we? We're on about our own glory, aren't we? In fact, much of our failure in the Christian life ebbs and flows out of the fact that we're on about our glory. Someone wrongs us in the workplace, and what's up with that? What's up with that? Someone uses the Lord's name in vain in the workplace, and we just want to get away. That's all. We just don't want to hear it. Whose glory are we interested in? Well, we need, we need grace for this. We need grace for this. And again, we go back to Daniel. It's no accident that Daniel points to the great act of deliverance in Exodus. When he points back to Israel's redemption out of Egypt. What's Daniel doing? He's, he's drinking from the grace that his people have received. But we have something greater than that. We have Christ. If we're in Christ this morning, we've been delivered from someone who is far more powerful than Pharaoh. We've been delivered from Satan himself. If we're in Christ this morning, we've been delivered from something far worse than the oppression of Pharaoh. We've been delivered from the oppression of sin, from the power and dominion of sin. If we're in Christ this morning, we've been delivered from something far greater than the enslavement of Egypt. We've been delivered from death. Oh, death, where is your sting? If Jesus doesn't return in our lifetime, we will die. But it's just going to be a doorway for us. A doorway into heaven. A doorway into the arms of Jesus. Oh, death, where is your sting? And you see, as we drink from that, as we drink from 
from that. Listen how this ex- that's expressed in this famous hymn. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote this sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for crimes that I had done? Was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, love beyond degree. There's where the grace comes from, doesn't it? Oh, as we drink from that, may the work of Christ dying in our place and the wonder of his resurrection so fill our hearts that they burn for the glory of God. Well, what's our problem? Again, our problem is our hearts aren't burning for the glory of God. That's what we've got to change. That's, I think, the way I see it, I think that's our first step is to pray, Lord, I, we need the right motivation here. Work in our hearts in such a way that we labor for your glory instead of our own. You're never going to do that on your own. I'm never going to do that on my own. God's going to have to do that. There's just no way we can do this on our own. But I think that's our first step. And (laughs) it's going to be pretty hard to do that without being in a deep posture of repentance, isn't it? And we've got the word guiding us. See, we have all the ingredients for some powerful prayer here, don't we? And then our prayers are going to sound perhaps like this. Lord, cause your mighty power to be known by transforming this valley's most notorious sinner into its most faithful follower of Jesus Christ. You know, do this, Lord, so that you would be glorified in, the, in Chester and East Liverpool and Wellsville. Or we might say, Lord, cause your goodness to be known by revealing the love of Jesus to our unbelieving loved ones. Cause your glory to be known, Lord. I mean, we're praying for our loved ones. We're praying because we don't want them to perish. And we want to continue to have that motivation. But what I'm saying is that's not the ultimate motivation. The ultimate motivation needs to be the glory of God. Lord, make your glory known. If you make your glory known to our loved ones, they'll get with the program. They'll get with the program. Lord, cause your truth to be known by opening the hearts of this valley to your word. To your word. As I'm preaching here, as I'm speaking here right now, there are priests and there are ministers and there are people all over the place that are preaching the words and teachings of men. They don't have their Bibles open. They might have their Bibles open, but they're not preaching the Bible. They're preaching the doctrines and silly doctrines of of men. Pop psychology and tradition and all of that nonsense that can't save and can't help anyone, only make us worse. Oh, Father, cause, the, cause you, shine your face down upon, because that's desolation. Shine your face down upon that which is desolate and cause your glory to be known by opening your word to the hearts of these teachers or get them out of there. I have often prayed over the years, about influence, certain influential teachers and preachers in this valley. And I have said, Lord, fill them with the gospel and cause them to preach the gospel or remove them. And he has removed some of them. For your glory, Lord. For your glory. Lord, cause your face to shine upon this Ohio Valley. 
I mean, we seek the shining lights of this world. Oh, Lord, hear our prayers. Think about what can happen as God transforms our prayers this way. What can happen as God transforms our prayers this way? What, what would he do? What can he do? What will he do? Uh, I think what happens is God fills our hearts with a burden for his glory. Heavenly Father, Lord, we believe that our first work, Father, is that you would transform our hearts, Lord, uh, to be on about your glory instead of our own. And Father, that leads us. That immediately leads us into this posture of repentance that we see uh, is all over Daniel. Father, we have labored for our own glory, our own pride, our own reputation. Father, we are really upset when people cross us. But Father, in comparison, we seem to be pretty lethargic when it comes to you being crossed. Oh, Father, we ask that you would change us. As a church, we come together in one voice. And we pray, Father, that you would change us. And Father, we would be on about your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.